Oh, good morning. My name is Jim Jeffrey. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and the series of messages that we're in in the month of July is called Lost. And so it's appropriate that I brought our lost and found out of the gathering space to be able to share with you. And some of you may recognize some of these things. So there's some water bottles that are here. We also have some uh, coffee cups, uh, if you maybe lost that. We've got uh, somebody's uh, hat from last winter and their gloves. And uh, actually, with the storms, you may have needed this umbrella, if, if that was you. We've got a number of Bibles here, so I don't know how your devotions are going without those. Or we've got a little, I expect this little boy, a Batman notebook with some rare artwork in it, okay? And somebody's um, Mizuno golf, uh, uh, golf, yes, a baseball glove, okay, right here. And we've got some glasses, oh my, very bad, and um, a child's shoe, so some little child's going barefoot uh, over in the infant area right now. And we've got uh, also a baby wipe and some... uh, some pampers, they may be in desperate need. So if these are yours, you can pick those up a little bit afterwards. Apparently, these things are not highly valuable to uh, the people that, that have them or did have them. Have you ever lost something that was really valuable to you? Think about that for a minute. And did you search diligently to try to find it? How hard did you look for it? If, in fact, you found it, how did you feel? I was thinking about this in my own life, and as a, as a young boy, one Christmas, my favorite Christmas gift that I was given was a Timex watch by my parents. It's my first watch I was ever given. It, this was before they were motion uh, energized or battery energized. You had to actually wind this watch. And somewhere playing out in the snow that winter, I lost my watch. I looked everywhere for it and couldn't find it. When springtime came, though, I was out walking on the front lawn by my my mom and dad's property, and I found the watch. I wound it, and it worked. It should have been an ad for Timex, okay? And and I, I just remember the joy of having found something that I highly valued that was lost. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back there. Please grab one. And the notes are there in your bulletin to kind of help you follow along. Luke chapter 15. It's the third book in the New Testament, 15th chapter. Uh, This is really the lost and found chapter of the Bible. Uh, In this chapter, it begins in the first three verses with tax collectors and sinners drawing near to hear Jesus. And the response of the religious elite of the day, the Pharisee and the scribes, they grumbled and complained against Jesus, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Their accusation against Jesus is Jesus is spending time with people that are sinners. The accusation was he is the friend of sinners. The three parables make it clear that Jesus wore that not as a badge of shame, but as a badge of honor. In essence, Jesus is saying, right on, I am the friend of sinners. Matter of fact, that's the mission I came on. And so he tells three parables, three stories. Last week, Pastor Joel focused on the lost sheep. This week, we're looking at the lost 
coin. And next week, Lord willing, Pastor Joel will be sharing with us about the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son. And all three of them have this, this idea of something that was very valuable, that was lost, a diligent search, it is found, and there is rejoicing. Now, there's an application of that that we see. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The idea is it's kind of a, a parallel track where there is Jesus telling the story, in this case, three stories, and, and putting that alongside some spiritual insight, some spiritual meaning. So parables are stories that tell us something very important. We've got to be careful we don't get lost in the story and miss the main point of about. And these three parables tell us three different views of mankind. There's a sense in which all mankind are like lost sheep. Last week, Pastor Joel quoted Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are like wandering sheep, wandering from the shepherd, needing salvation of being restored. All, mankind is also a coin. That's an economic view. Socialism, communism, and even capitalism sees people as just a coin. But in this, this coin means something far more, as we're going to see. And then all of mankind is like a prodigal son needing to be restored. Beautiful, beautiful pictures of mankind. But all of these parables tell one big idea. God rejoices when a lost sinner is found. Do you hear me? Just like you rejoice when you find something valuable to you, God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we sang about today, he rejoices, he celebrates when a lost person is found. Question is, do you? Does it matter to you? You see, we are all lost sinners, both by nature, by birth, and by our behavior, all of us. If you've come here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know you haven't gathered into a place where we think we're better than other people. Matter of fact, we're convinced that we're all lost sinners and that God sought us out in Jesus Christ who came to this world and took upon our flesh and went to the cross to die in our place as our substitute and redeemer. And if there was any other way for us to be found, Jesus wouldn't have done that. But there was no other way. And he came and he sought that which was lost. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. If you're here today and you say, my life is a mess, my life is a wreck, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful person, I want you to know Jesus cares about you. And he cares about me. If you think that God is saying to you, clean up your act and then I'll receive you, you don't understand the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is you can't clean up your act because you're by nature a sinner. So God did for you what you cannot do. And God celebrates, God rejoices when a lost sinner is found. I want you to, to catch that. Well, let's read this parable together. Luke chapter 15. This is the shortest of the, uh, of the three parables. I think that's why Pastor Joel entrusted it to me, okay? Luke 15, starting at verse 8. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Heavenly Father, may we, by the help of your Holy Spirit, understand this parable, understand that Jesus indeed is a friend of sinners, that your Holy Spirit is seeking those that are lost, that our Heavenly Father rejoices when those that are lost are found. May we see that. May we have that same heart and that same passion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the parable of the lost um, coin, it's telling us that... um, the, the lost coin represents, thank you, represents um, so, something that is valuable that is lost, okay? I've got a, a quarter here, but the coin that's mentioned in, the, in this passage is the Greek drachma, okay? The drachma was about equal to the Roman coin, the denarius. Well, what's the importance of that? It was one day's wages for a common laborer. It was uh, worth one day's wages for a soldier, So it had value, but it wasn't something that was so incredibly valuable that you would just, your whole life would crash if you lost it. It was valuable. But the significance of this coin is far beyond that for this woman. When you look at the parable, it says, one woman having 10 silver coins, and that's important to understanding what's going on here. So you see a picture here of the drachma. You can put that up there. That's what it looked like. And you see there was the head of the emperor, the owl on the back. And uh, that, was the, that was the ancient drachma coin. This is only used here in the entire New Testament, this particular coin being referred to. And, and Luke uses that as an illustration. But he says there was 10 of those. And so if you look at the next slide, you see a picture of a lady who has 10 coins on her headdress. That would have been her dowry. It would have been equal to a wedding ring. When she had these 10 coins... Uh, often given by her father as a part of her dowry, on her wedding day she would put that on her headdress, sometimes on a necklace, and she would wear that every day so that everybody knew she was a married woman, that she had been chosen and valued and loved. And so this was equal to her wedding ring. And she, if she lost one of those coins, it would be a reproach to her. It could demonstrate that she was unfaithful to her husband or at least didn't value her marriage. So to lose this coin was worth much more than the value economically of that coin. I'll tell you, um, before we moved to Grand Rapids the first time, we were living in Auburn, Indiana. And one uh, February night, I was, after a Sunday evening service, uh, driving to Sandusky, Ohio, where we had previously lived to stay overnight with some friends of ours, and then in the morning go over to Akron, Ohio, and attend a conference where Dr. Howard Hendricks was speaking. And I remember it was was dark, and I was driving our old uh, blue Pontiac station wagon, and I got up on Interstate 8090, driving across uh, that part of Ohio, and all of a sudden I began to realize that something was happening in the engine compartment of my car that was not good. I was losing compression. I was losing power. So I pulled over to the side, I had some oil in the back of the car, and so I put all the oil I had in there. It still couldn't register on the dipstick. 
And I realized I didn't have any paper towels or napkins in the car, so I, I leaned down on the snow-covered side of the road, and I wiped my oil-soaked hands. Made it to Sandusky that night as I got off the exit. The engine is racing. There's almost no compression. Just barely made it in to the, uh, the friend's house. They had left the door unlocked. I, I went down, went to sleep, got up, took a shower in the morning. And when I got up, I realized my wedding ring was missing. I looked everywhere for it. I never, ever take my wedding ring off, not even to wash my hands or anything. And I went and looked in the car. I looked all over the room, and then I realized, cold night, oily fingers, snow. Went through that day, had to leave the car there for a a friend to uh, uh, rebuild the engine. Took a bus from there back to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Bert picked me up there. She didn't know anything about that. She just knew that the car was totaled and there was going to be a lot of money and expense to get that replaced that we weren't planning on. When I met Bert at the train station of Fort Wayne, I said, "Hun, that's not the worst part. I held up my hand and I said, somewhere along Interstate 80 is my wedding ring. And I began to just weep. I literally went up because there was no, I had no sense of location of where I had stopped I, I, the oil cans I'd put back in the car, and so I, I went up and I walked along 80, 90, trying to find anything that would, would give me some indication, but it's still snowy, and I never found it. For the next few years, I, I went into every jewelry store I could find, looked through every catalog trying to find a match, because they were a match set, and couldn't find it. We ultimately had one custom made. You see, my wedding ring is a sign of the covenant that Bert and I made before God. And it signifies that I am a married man, that I am in a unique covenant relationship with one woman, and that is Bert. And for this woman, that headdress coin meant the same thing. Look back at the picture of the coins again, if you would do that just for a minute. There's something else that is here. In most of the Roman and Greek coins, you had the the head of a ruler, perhaps the emperor, on there. Do you remember the time when Jesus was asked, should we pay our taxes or not? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying no, because then they could call the Romans on him. So Jesus says, give me the coin. He holds up the coin, and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. Whose image is on you? The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You have the stamp of the image of God that makes you unique and distinct from all the rest of creation. You have value and worth to God because he stamped his own image on you. And when the fall of man happened, the image got twisted and distorted. But Jesus came, and the Bible tells us that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we enter into a new covenant relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit is working in our life, that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18. See, God values lost people because they have his image on it like the coin. And he seeks them like the woman sought after that headdress. 
that coin that she sought for. Now, she had a diligent search. Bible tells us, if you look a little bit further, that when she lost her coin, she um, lit a lamp. Now, one of the things you have to understand about the kind of houses that they lived in in Palestine at that time, in the Holy Land, as we call it, there were, there were houses were primarily made out of mud-dried bricks. They would put branches on the top, and they would thatch the roof. But the floor, if it was a wealthy home, may have a stone floor, but most homes were earthen floors, just dirt. And they would kind of pack it down, and they would put reeds or rushes on there, and there'd be sometimes two levels to the home, one for where the whole family would sleep, that'd be cozy, and then the, the, the living area. And it was very, very small. There's a picture that'll, that'll show you that. The, um, the house would have a window. You can see her, her um, looking for that coin. She's using a broom, something like this, up a little, a little longer. And she's down on her hands and knees. Imagine losing a coin in a dirt floor with reeds and rushes on it. Talk about looking for a needle in a haystack. That's what it would have been like for her. She's seeking that out. But there was in that house, you notice it's kind of dark. And in the next picture you can see there was a window there. That window was only as big as about 18 inches. Now turn the lights off for just a moment if you would. And this is all the light that she had to go looking for that lost coin. That's all she had. She had a broom and a little, a little lamp just like this, an oil lamp, and that's what she used. You can turn the lights back on. Hopefully the fire marshal's not here. And so she is diligently looking for that with a lamp and with her broom. She's seeking for it. She's turning over every reed. She's looking in the dirt. She's seeking that out. What's the point of that? Do you realize how diligently and aggressively God is seeking for lost people? The point of this parable isn't just to tell a story about a lady with a lost coin. The point of this parable is that's what God is like. God the Holy Spirit is seeking people to bring them to Jesus Christ. God is actively, aggressively seeking out people that have no relationship with God. People whose lives are broken and ruined and sinful and filled with addictions and filled with problems. And their lives are messy and God loves them. God is seeking for people like that. Later in Luke's gospel in the 19th chapter, just four chapters later, Jesus is traveling along a road from Jericho and he stops under a tree. And there's a, a man up in the tree called Zacchaeus. He was a publican, not a republican, a publican. A publican was a tax collector who was hated by the Jews because he was, a, he was a traitor from the Jews. He was working for the despised Romans. And it was like, it wasn't just like working for the IRS. It's like working for the IRS and the mafia at the same time. Because the way it worked is you could get any extra you could charge. It was, it was just a corrupt system. He was hated. He was despised. Orthodox Jews would have nothing to do with him. The Pharisees and the scribes would have nothing to do with him. Jesus comes to him and he stops under the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house. And the crowd begins to criticize Jesus. He's going to a home of a man who's a notorious sinner. And Jesus says this, Luke 19.10. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God rejoices when lost sinners are found. God rejoices when lost sinners are found. God is diligently seeking for that which he highly values. That's what's happening here. I want you to notice when she finds the coin, when she found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, other ladies in the neighborhood, other ladies that were friends of hers. She said, it's time to party. It's time to rejoice. It's time to celebrate. Come rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that was lost. Come rejoice with me, for I found the coin that was lost. A couple named um, Jim and Jane in 1960 were vacationing in Lake George, New York. Lake George, beautiful lake up in the Adirondack Mountains. And he lost his wedding ring in 1960. Fast forward, in 2015... Somebody was swimming in the area and saw something glitter in the rocky base of Lake George and reached down and found the ring and traced it back to them. And, 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 and they, were now, they were now 70 years old when, when his wedding ring was placed on his finger with tears. They were rejoicing because that which was lost was found. I want you to think about that, about who God is. There's a joyful celebration we celebrate those that are found. Look at the slide of the woman celebrating. Look at the joy on her face as she has found that lost coin. She has recovered it. And, and the point of the parable is given to us in the very next verse. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The point of the parable is, like that woman rejoiced when she found her coin, God God rejoices when lost people are found. God celebrates. God rejoices. Look at the very end of the parable of the, um, of the, the lost sheep. Verse 7. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven, where? Heaven, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who think they need no repentance. There's joy before the angels of heaven over one sin that repents, sinner that repents. You get to the end of the parable of the prodigal son, and the father says, kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. This is my son that was lost, and he's now found, and we're going to rejoice in this. And God is saying, so I rejoice. By the way, did you notice it says over the, the, the there's joy in the presence of angels? Now, we tend to read that, that the angels rejoice, and, I'm, and I'm, I believe they do, but that's not what it says. It says there's joy in the presence of angels. Who is in the presence of angels? God and the redeemed of all the ages. The point of this is that God himself rejoices and that all those that are redeemed in heaven rejoice. Do you realize the day that you were saved, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, heaven through a party? Think about that. The day that you received Jesus Christ as Savior, when I was 12 years old at, at a camp in Pennsylvania, the night that I bowed my knee and received Christ as, as Savior, there was a party in heaven. God celebrated, 
and, and the redeemed celebrated and the angels celebrated when a person is saved. When a person is saved. Let's think about the application of this to our life. Do you have God's heart? Do you have God's heart to find the lost? Does your heart reflect the heart of God? From everything that I read statistically, the average Christian doesn't care about lost people very much because they're not making much of a diligent search. Does your heart reflect the heart of God towards lost people today? The Bible tells me that when Jesus in in Matthew chapter 9 looked at people, he saw them as shepherdless sheep. He saw them as hopeless and helpless. He wept over them. He wept over the city of Jerusalem and wept over their lost condition. The heart of God, hear me please, is grieved over lost people that are still lost. Is your heart grieved over lost people that are still lost? And the heart of God rejoices and celebrates over lost people that trust Christ. God rejoices and celebrates. Is that your heart? Frankly, I think there's some Christians that celebrate more when they get a new new television set or a new car or they go on a new vacation or they get new clothing than about a lost person coming to Jesus Christ to save you. Do you really care about lost people? I just tell you a story, and this may... may, uh, surprise you. But when Bert and I were in transition back to Grand Rapids, there were a number of churches that were talking to us about becoming a lead pastor for them. One of those churches we had had multiple meetings with. And I was getting a sense that they didn't really have a burden as a church, even the leadership of the church, about lost people. They were were in an area that was growing and new people moving in. And I asked the question this way and that way and this way to find out, do you care about lost people? And finally, the last night of the last meeting we had with the search committee, I asked this question. Is there anybody here that gives a rip about lost people? And the silence was deafening. And I just decided, at this point in my life, I did not want to pour into a church that didn't care about lost people. Because they didn't have the heart of God. Do you? Do you care about people that are going out to a Christless eternity? Here's the second thing. Are you prepared to help find those that are lost? Are you prepared to diligently search for them? You say, well, I'm not, but I'd like to be. One of the things that we're committed to doing as a church is to helping you, to equipping you. There's a class that we have designed that will be launched again this this fall. Watch for it. It's called, um, at least the the name has been called, uh, sharing your faith with confidence. And Josh Fuller and Jeff Forget, you two guys stand up right where you are right now. Josh, stand up. Jeff, two of our elders, they're going to be teaching this class. And they're going to be pouring into people in this church who want to know how to connect with lost people. And, and we know this, that the reason most people never share their faith with a lost person is because of fear. Fear of failure, 
rejection, and not knowing what to say. And God has given us eight things to equip us to be able to share our faith with confidence. And we want to equip you with that. We want to help you live a lifestyle where the gospel is being shared in everyday life. So if you're not prepared, this is a way for you to get prepared. And how are you engaged in finding those that are lost right now? Think about this right now. Just look around, look around the um, family life center here. Look at other people around you right now. Just do that if you would. Just humor me, okay? Just look around a little bit. If you took every person in this room and you did what's called a sociograph of them, their network of relationships, their neighbors, their friends, the people that they do business with, the restaurant where they have the same waiter, where they get gas, where they work out, extended relatives, you would find that the network of this church would cover thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in West Michigan because of the network of relationships. I want to encourage you to look around you and start praying for those people that you have contact with you that you suspect don't know Jesus. Start praying for them. That's a great place to start. Start praying and preparing to engage with them in a meaningful way. I go to the same subway several times a week and go and wait for the same guy to wait on me because he and I are going to have coffee together and I'm looking forward to sharing Jesus with him. He's a young college student and uh, I've been talking to him about his career goals, but I want to talk to him about Jesus. And I'm being intentional and doing that. It hit me the other day when I was scanning a check in, through my phone to my bank and I thought, why don't I go to the bank and talk to a teller so that I can develop a relationship? Going out of your way to connect with people that are lost. Who has God placed on your heart right now? As, as I've been sharing this message, as we've been talking about the lost coin, some of you, the Holy Spirit has reminded you of a face and a name of a person that you know that needs Jesus. Maybe a neighbor, maybe someone that you go to school with or work with, a relative, somebody that God's put on your heart. I want to encourage you, ask God to prepare you to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Do you know why? Because Jesus, like the shepherd, is seeking those that are lost. Because the Holy Spirit, like the woman, is diligently seeking for the lost coin. And because God the Father, like the Father, is seeking for prodigals. We want to be a church that has the heart of God. Would you agree with that? And if we're going to be a church that has the heart of God, then we must care deeply about lost people. So much so that when we heard, like I just heard today about some 35 children at a camp that trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I wanted to just celebrate about that. God threw a party when that happened, and we need to throw a party when that happens. Let's bow together. I want you to take a moment and just pray silently. Reflect on your own heart and your concern or lack of concern for people that are lost, like the sheep and the coin and the sun. And if your heart is apathetic and indifferent to people that are lost around you, then I want you to pray right now silently and say, Spirit of God, move in my heart so that I care about people like you do. So that I'm willing to value them highly. 
to seek them out diligently and to rejoice because nothing's more important on this planet than people coming to Jesus Christ. And maybe right now in your heart, there's, there is that friend, that person you work with, that neighbor, kid you go to school with, the guy you always see when you work out, the person that's on a softball team here at our church. It could be a family member. And they don't know Christ. And right now I'm going to ask you to pray for them. And pray and say, Lord Jesus, would you, would you give me the courage to build a relationship with them? To share with them what you mean to me? To be equipped so that I can be your representative in their life? Friend, it's one thing for us to sing, as we did earlier, that Jesus is the only Savior. But it's another thing for us to live that in interacting with people that desperately need to know Christ. Father, may we love lost people like you loved the prodigal. Lord Jesus, may we seek them out like the shepherd sought the sheep. Holy Spirit, work in us and through us that we, like the woman seeking for the coin, will seek for your image bearers. Lord, I pray that we as a church would have your heart, your passion. That we, like Jesus, who we claim to follow, we would be friend of sinners. God, make that true of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.